0: On. Let's stand if you would, please. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings 2. Why don't you get ready for a new series we're going to start after this this month here. On the Sunday mornings, we're, we're finished with the book of Joshua. That's been a blessing. And uh, we're going to be starting a new series entitled Nothing But The Truth for about the rest of the year, The Truth About Jesus Christ. Especially with a lot of visitors coming in, we just want them to uh, know the truth about Jesus Christ. And then Sunday evenings, I'm going to start off with a series uh, beginning in November for maybe about 12 weeks or so on entitled Family Portrait. And uh, we're going to get an up-close look at the Sons of Jacob. Some great, Bible study there to help us with that. And to kind of kick it off, I think Brother Vaughn will get, let you know the date. But I think on Sunday night, February 11th, we have a mystery coming February 4th. But Sunday night, February 11th, I think we're going to have family portraits we're going to take that night. And so just to extra send for people to come. But just I want you to be there for a great study we're going to do on the 12 Sons of Jacob. That I believe, believe will be a great encouragement. And we're getting ready for the new year for some new series we'll be starting there to just to really rebuild the church up in the Word of God. All right, Second, First Kings Chapter 2. Go with me to verse thirty-six. Amen. If you're there, verse thirty-six tonight. How many feel like you're just want You just want more church tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good. Verse thirty-six. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and go not forth thence any whither. For it shall be that on the day that thou goest out and passest over the book Kidron. Thou shalt know for certain that thou should surely die, for thy blood shall be upon thy own head. And Shimei said unto the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so will thy servant do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. And it came to pass at the end of three years... And two of his servants, the two of the servants of Shimei, ran away unto Achish, son uh, the son of Maacah, the king of Gath, which is in, which is uh, uh, which one of the cities of the of the Philistines. And they told Shimei saying, Behold, thy servants being Gath. And Shimei arose and saddled his ass and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come again. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make thee to swear by the Lord and protest unto thee, saying, Know for certain that on the day that thou goest out and walkest abroad any whither that thou shalt surely die, and thou saidst unto me, The word that I have heard is good. Why then hast thou, not, hast thou not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with? And the king said moreover to Shimei, Thou knowest all the wickedness that which is in the, which thy heart is privy to that thou didst to David my father where therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon thy own head and King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada which went out and fell upon him that he died and the kingdom was established in the land of Solomon. What an incredible story of scripture. We have a brief biography about this man by the name of Shimei. Notice Notice verse 37 because it's kind of the hub of our passage. Jimmy, I had boundaries established in his life. He was told not to pass a certain line. Look at verse 37 again. He said, For it shall be that on the day that thou goest out, Solomon told him, I want you to build your house in Jerusalem. I want you to stay here in the city of peace. I want you to build your house here. Build your life here. He says, The day that you go outside of these boundaries, he says, And you pass the brook Kidron, you have crossed a forbidden line. He said, Don't pass that line. Don't go over there. He says, The day that you do, thou shalt should surely die well Three years went by. Everything was going really, really good. And then he had two servants that ran away. And the Bible says something very interesting. He didn't even think about it, much on it. But the Bible says he arose and went to get his two servants. And we read the rest of the story is that this man was was confronted by King Solomon and had a very, very difficult experience because of that. Tonight I want you to look at verse 37 as we get ready for our revival meetings and kind of just where God has had us at here today and has us at in our lives right now. I want to preach a message entitled The Savior don't cross that line. Don't Cross that line. And this evening, may the Holy Spirit speak to us. And I've called on the Lord several times over the last 48 hours that the Lord would meet with us as the great physician who heals the sick. Amen. That he would meet with us today and that the balm of Gilead, which is God's holy medicine, would touch our souls and work in our lives. As we consider the life of this man Shimei as he uh, is dealing with an issue that perhaps deals with all of our lives. When the, the king told him, Don't cross that line, as we consider that tonight. I don't know where you're at in life, but I do know where I'm at in my life. And I And I know one thing, that the Lord wants us to heed His Word. Whatever God has for us is always relevant, it's always timely, it's exactly what we need. And we're praying tonight that the Lord will meet with you and me from this passage of Scripture. Now, Father, tonight we're thankful that Your Word is eternal we thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven. That Lord, your nothing needs to be added to and nothing needs to be taken from your word. As the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but we know that the word of the Lord endureth forever. And we know that the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And tonight we ask as you would meet with us as Jehovah Rapha, as the Lord who heals. And just as you healed those bitter waters of Mara and you made them sweet, and you told Moses to cut down a tree and to cast that tree into the water, those waters were made sweet. Father, we. We pray that you'd work in our hearts tonight as we look at this man by the name of Shimei and how, Lord, it's very important that we understand the boundaries for our lives. I pray this evening we'd understand that, God, there are boundaries that you put in our marriages and boundaries you put in our lives. And, Lord, we need to consider those places and where God has drawn that line. And tonight we pray that you be glorified and pleased in each of our lives. Father, this evening I pray for special mercies and help. I pray for enabling from above. God, you know tonight that my, my brain is just a little bit, a little, little bit fuzzy right now, and I need a holy anointing from God, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us tonight. And I pray that as we weave through the message this evening, that you meet every need here tonight. I know there are great burdens. I know there are concerns. I know that Lord, there's broken hearts. I know there's disillusionments and disappointments. But I also know, dear God, that where we're at in life. You have to meet us exactly where we're at. And as you meet us, we need to come and meet you we need to meet you on your terms not on our terms and i pray this evening that you deal with our hearts where there may be areas where we're just in disagreement with you and god we would be in alignment with that and yet at the same time i pray you'd encourage us by the mercies of god as brother danny read from from lamentations 323 and i pray that you make everything cohesive and lucid and understandable most importantly i pray this evening god you will meet with us as our god and our father from heaven that you'll be glorified in our midst we pray for anyone here to night. Who's not absolutely sure where they're going to spend eternity is the man today that was dealt with And I pray that they would come to know jesus christ your son as a personal savior Tonight help young people to know what the boundaries should be And help those of us who are established christians to remind ourselves What the boundaries should be and where the line is drawn We pray for these things of you now lord in jesus name amen you may be seated Notice tonight very quickly in 1 kings chapter 2 we have david in his last This is the last chapter about david's life david will breathe his last Breath In this chapter, he meets with his son Solomon. He gives final words to Solomon. And as we look at these first, maybe 15, 20 verses of Scripture, in 1 Kings 2, they're very solemn. I mean, they speak to our hearts about a king who had a great legacy in his life. And he's at 70 years of age. He'd pass on. And the great legacy left behind that uh, Paul tells us about is that he served his generation by the will of God. But there are four or five things that he told his son. Notice if you want these first, uh, these, these initial verses in chapter 2, he tells his son, keep God's word hurt. He tells his son, obey the Lord. He tells his son, be thou strong. And then he tells his son, show thyself a man. He says, listen, you're a king now. You're a leader. You've got some really big responsibilities you're going to take on. You've got some things bigger than you that you've got to consider. He says, keep God's word, uh, be strong, show thyself a man. He says, you've got to be a man in this matter. And he wasn't just trying to puff him up or build him up and just trying to get some Machuism into him. He had to have him realize that he was taking on some incredible, great spiritual responsibilities. And so he speaks to his son Solomon as a father. And then he goes from telling him these four things he needed to do. Be strong. Keep God's word. Obey the Lord. Show yourself a man then he wanted to remind him, now son, you're inheriting the kingdom and I need to tell you some things that are very tough. I've told you what you need to do now I need to tell you what you're going to have to deal with. Because he said, there's some things that I didn't deal with that have been passed on to you. You're inheriting some things that you've got to deal with. And the four things he told him he had to deal with were four men. Four men that we looked at last time. He said, you're, going to, you're inheriting Joab who's the general of my army. Joab has been treacherous. Joab has turned against me. He said, you've got to realize you're inheriting Joab. Number two, you're inheriting Abiathar the priest. Abiathar that are has had, is, is not with me all the way He he showing his alliances at Adonijah you just need to know Abiathar the priest is still a priest he's still in that capacity you're going to have to deal with him and then he said you still have Adonijah you have your half-brother still here Adonijah still has not changed his spirit you're going to have to deal with him and then he told him about this man by the name of Shimei now Shimei kind of shows up and he was kind of just you know just out there where he got, got right with David we'll see that in a minute here he got right with David and he kind of just kind of just be, be, lay quiet on the scene, but David remembered some things about Shimei. And David announces about Shimei, I think around verse 17 or somewhere like that. Uh, he talks about it about the, here in, this te- in the passage of Scripture, verse 13 or so. He talks about the fact that Shimei uh, grievously cursed him. That's how he described Shimei's relationship to him. He said, Shimei grievously cursed him. And tonight we're going to look at this man by the name of Shimei. Now notice some things by way of introduction. You might want to write this down. Shimei's name means renowned. It means renowned. He was famous. He was well-known. He's reputed. And the thing we're going to see in Scripture that Shimei is well-renowned for, as we see in this chapter of Scripture, he's going to be renowned for crossing a forbidden line. Now, I did some research a little bit here about this this line and so forth there. And uh, sometimes we use the word trespass to to define crossing a line that we're not supposed to cross. You know, there's a boundary line established, and if you cross over that, you're trespassing. You know this. You have these markers between your home and your neighbor's home, and you're not supposed to pass over. Over that and if you pass over it, you could be considered a trespasser. In sports, they have lines that are established or boundary lines. In basketball courts, football and football fields and soccer fields. When you go outside those lines, you're out of bounds as we would say. When you're out of bounds, that's a foul. When you're out of bounds, then everything stops. It's something against you there. We call that trespassing or going out of bounds. Now the Bible uses the word trespass of one of several words to strongly define sin. Now it's used, when we look up the word trespass, it is synonymous with the word transgression. It is used in that context. It is used as the word transgression. It can be used interchangeably. It describes an act of treachery. It is linked up with the idea of being unfaithful to someone you're supposed to be devoted to. Tres- trespassing can have serious consequences. Now, humorously speaking, I thought we would take a look at some some trespassing signs. I don't know if you've ever seen these before, but here's one. Here's one trespassing sign. It says, no trespassing. Violators will be shot survivors will be shot again. I thought that was kind of interesting there. I might put that on my property line there. Amen? No trespassing. Violators will be shot. Uh, survivors will be shot again. Okay? Now, if you've got a dog, so what if you've got a dog? Trespassers will be bitten and survivors will be bitten again. Amen? That's just what it means. Okay? Here's number, another one here. It says this, Okay? Prayer is the best way to meet the Lord. Trespassing is faster. I thought that was kind of amusing. And of course, we have our own kind of trespassing sign that's in the back there. And the trespassing says, section closed, please wait for the ushers to move. I thought you just, I thought I would just throw it in there because it's free tonight. Amen? Amen? Okay. All right, ushers, give me an amen, ushers. Amen? I thought I'd just put that back there. And we put that in other languages just so you'd understand. Amen? But uh, tonight we have to take trespassing somewhat seriously or crossing a forbidden line. I want you to see several things about Shimei tonight in our Bible study. Number one, I want you to consider Shimei and his malicious rancor. Notice for chapter 16. Go to Second Samuel chapter 16 with me tonight. We're in a Bible study. I want you to notice Shimei and his malicious rancor. Now, two words that we don't use much in our English language, but I want you to get familiar with tonight. Word number one is malice. Malice is a word that describes someone with intense bitterness, meanness, and animosity. It means they, they're intentional in their act. Malicious behavior is something done with ill intent in mind. Vengeance and retaliation are typically linked up with malice. Second word, rancor. Now, rancor is a very strong word. Uh, rancor is a word that describes strong ill will, hostility, hatred and spitefulness. Shimei is introduced to us in Scripture as a man with malicious rancor. Notice the reason why this man is like this. Notice the reason behind this. Go with me to 2 Samuel 16 and notice verse 5 as he's introduced to us. David is out in Mahaniam. David is going past Mahaniam there. He's making his way uh, through Bahurim. Notice verse 5 here. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei the son of Gera and he came forth, and he cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand, on his left. Now notice how this man is introduced to us. David is running is, is an outcast from his own kingdom. His son Absalom has taken control of the kingdom. David left for, uh, for his own safety and the safety of the people around him. And while this is going on, you have to bear in mind where David's at in life. David is disappointed. David is heartbroken. David is is grieving. He's grieving for his son. He's grieving about the situation. He's sorry for all the people that are with him, whose lives are at risk there. And he's making his way uh, outside there. And he comes to Behurim. Now, Behurim was a town of Benjamin between Jerusalem and, 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 and uh, Jerusalem and Jericho. So you have to bear in mind, it's a town of, a town of Benjamin. This man, uh, Jimei, lived in the town of Behurim he heard word came out that the king was coming now you just have to understand back in those days if there was a large delegation of people either there'd be dust kicked up in the air they'd see this cloud of dust or somebody would announce from sitting on a high vantage point there's a group coming now everyone in the kingdom knew that david was running from absalom and everyone had to draw their conclusions either david is innocent or david is guilty the benjamites as far as they were concerned because they they were relatives of saul they had intense hostility against david they were not very happy that David came to the throne. They felt like because of the, because of the ill will that Saul had, 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 uh, had uh, cast out against David, they just felt like that David took the kingdom uh, maliciously and he took it unjustifiably. And of course, they would not accept that it was the will of God for him to be there. Shimei lived in this town. Notice in verse 5, Shimei is the only Benjamite that comes out of that town to meet David. He comes out of there. He's the son of Gerah. And he comes forth, and the Bible says in verse 5, he cursed as he came out. The reason he came out was because he never settled in his heart that David was king. Now let me give you some thoughts this evening why someone gets like that. He despised David being on the throne. Shimei had a bitter and critical spirit towards David. Now I want to help us tonight because all of us have the propensity, of getting a critical spirit. All of us have a propensity that something can happen in our lives that can push us over the edge. As it pushes us over the edge, it creates in us a spirit of animosity, hostility, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, all of those things that we talk about there. And he's at this place where he just, he hears David's coming and he's thought about this and just the very name of David triggered something. I mean, just David's very name got him, got just just jarred him loose. And he said, you know what? I don't care what anybody else in And Bahurim goes out to meet him. I'm going to go meet him. And he comes out and he's cursing away at David. I mean, he's using some foul language. He's using some terrible words. He's swearing and cursing. And then along the way, he's picking some rocks. He's chucking those rocks at David. And he's throwing at David's men. He's throwing it at David from a distance. And he's doing all these things. Now listen to me tonight. A critical spirit is one that never has anything good to say. Let me give you some thoughts. How did he get that way? Write this down. Number one, he got that way because he listened to hearsay. He got that way because he listened to hearsay. Now go back if you weren't here last Sunday or two Sundays ago when I preached from, from Joshua 22. I talked about misunderstandings and hearsay and how it almost erupted in a civil war between the two and a half tribes and the nine and a half tribe. And he got that way because he listened to hearsay he heard some things and he just developed the fact that became doctrine to him that was not doctrine that was something he just accepted because blood was thicker than water he was a benjamite he agreed and with what everything Saul represented so number one he got the way because he listened to hearsay number two he got that way because he was unwilling to submit to david's leadership he could never get himself beyond the point that saul had been dethroned by god god was the one that took saul out not david God was the one that told Saul, you're demoted. You're no longer the king. We read about that in 1 Samuel 15. He stripped the kingdom away from him. And he told him specifically, I'm going to give it to a neighbor who has a heart better than yours. He would never, this man Shimeleite, like many of the Benjamites, would never accept the fact that David was king. So he would not submit to his leadership. Number three, he got that way because he identified more with his tribe quote-unquote people like him than he did with the truth. Now think with me about that that statement there. He identified more with his tribe than he did with the truth. You know, there's just something about our personalities. You listen to me tonight. There's something about our personalities. We kind of just like to be with certain people. And once we get around that group of people, we just kind of identify with the tribe more than we do with truth. You know, as God's people, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our own integrity. We owe it to our families to search out the matter, to make sure is it true, or is it not true not to listen to gossip not to listen to hearsay because the moment we do so we can split the church in multi-directions Amen I mean, that can happen there, okay? And so, Shimei got that way because he listened to hearsay. He got that way because he would never submit to David's leadership. And he got that way because he identified more with his tribe than he did with the truth. Now, critical spirit, once it takes control of us, it's poisonous. It's stronger than the venom of a serpent. It controls us. It poisons our mind. It poisons our spirit. It poisons our speech. Look at Shimei there. He had all this built-up resentment towards David. The moment he saw David was he's thinking he's my david's exactly where i knew he would be as far as he's concerned he's thinking judgment upon david he's thinking you deserve everything you got that that's what you should get for treating saul the way you did now he didn't understand all the background that david never did anything wrong to saul he just did everything right for saul but he didn't want to accept that and whatever truth was permeated on there had, had quickly been squashed. And notice what happens. David comes out and the first thing he does, he doesn't just come up and greets him. He's cursing him. He's saying vile things to him. That happens sometimes. Someone who's filled with a critical spirit, I mean, they just, just looking at you. It just comes out. I mean, there's just all this venom comes out and it comes out of Shimeon. He, he approaches David with that, with, that, with that attitude. And a critical spirit is one where there's this, this unrestrained attitude that's left to itself. So we see the reason. But notice a little bit further. Notice in verse Verses six to eight. Notice if you would the reaction. The moment he sees David, he curses and he throws some stones. Let's go a little bit deeper. And see what happens here. Verses six to eight. And he casts stones at David and at all his the servants of King David. You know when you have a critical spirit, you look at everybody that identifies with that, and you start throwing, throwing, stones, start throwing thons, stones at them, and you start being critical with them as well. There too. And he looked at David and he looked at David's men like Benaiah and those around him, and Abishai and those men around him, and he started throwing stones at them because he didn't care. He got the place. He had no fear. He had the place he didn't care one, one bit about that When he cast stones at David And all the servants of King David And all the people And all the money men That were on his right hand and on his left And notice his words in verse 7 he, and he said, come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. I mean, can you imagine the irreverence he was giving to David? He was calling David a murderer. He was calling David a, a child of the devil. He was calling him the son of Belial. And you know your Bible well enough. If someone was called the son of Belial, that was a very derogatory term. That was a low-life term. I had a, I had a situation happen earlier this year where something happened and this person had a misunderstanding and they didn't search out the facts and they sent me this letter and this letter was very vile and I asked my wife to take a look at it, and she said, "She said, Alan, she said, if you look at this language and this, that is that is that is beneath street level. That's gutter talk in terms of what's being used to you." And I kind of looked, at it, and I was very sad. I got this, and I didn't know what to do with it except I just said, "You know what? I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to revisit. It. I burned it. Amen. I'm just not going to revisit because I did not want to get a bitter spirit about the thing." But those things happen when you just have this resentment, this idea, you justify in your mind that you think you're right, and you may be wrong. You, but you justify in your mind you think you're right, and so the, he comes out with this. And notice he says David you're a bloody man and David you are, you're, a, you're a bloody man and you're a man of Belial and he just used the street talk which was gutter talk against David there and then he said in verse 8 the Lord has returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stead thou hast reigned now the Bible tells us something very very important in the book of Proverbs he says it tells us I'm going to paraphrase it we should never look on someone who is against us and wish judgment upon them lest God turns that judgment upon us you know what I'm talking about there? that's in the book of Proverbs, okay? It reminds us, and I'm paraphrasing it for you there, it tells us that we need to be very careful in spite of the fact of how we're treated that we do not have a spirit of animosity or judgment against somebody else because that could turn against us there. And so he comes to David. he didn't care what the Bible said there. He says, uh, he says, the Lord has returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stud thou hast reigned, and the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son behold thou art taken in thy mischief because thou art a bloody man. Now notice reaction, he curses David, would you notice some things about the cursing and watch this because if we find ourselves in this pattern, the same thing comes out notice number one, he was vile in his cursing notice number two, he was vindictive in his cursing Notice number three, he was violent in his cursing. He was so vile and so vindictive. Listen, he can't, he was, I mean, this man's violent. He picks up some stones, he starts chucking the stones at David. And you know, the word that says that he's hurling the stones is the same connotation as if you took somebody, dragged them out of the town, and you got a mob together, and everybody picked up their stones to stone the person to death. I mean, his intent was to cause bodily harm to David. Critical spirit... Never goes by without hurting somebody that's, that's the intended target. Really quiet right now, isn't it? Never goes away without hurting someone that's the intended target. He had an injury to insult by throwing dust, stones and dust at him. Look a, bit, a little bit further down. Go to verse 13. And uh, as David and his men went along, by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went. He kept following him. And he kept throwing stones at him. Not only that, he threw dust at him. Hey, listen, I wrote this down in my notes here tonight. Uh, You know, he kept throwing stones at him and throwing dirt at him. And as he did so, he didn't care that he was smearing David with his dirt. You know, when you get criticized, you're going to get some dirt on you. You're going to get smeared a little bit you're going to get muddy a little bit. And he came out and did all those things. And yet notice verse six, this is so, this is a blessing. The Bible says in verse six, as he cast stones at David and all the servants of King David, notice all the people, all the mighty that were on his right and his left. Now I'm thankful tonight that there were some men on his right side and on his left side. And as they were, they were throwing stones. I imagine the Abishai's and bani's men like that. I think they just saw these stones. I think they tried to do their best to kind of shield and insulate David from getting hit with all that stuff. And they kind of stood along the way. Thank God for people when they see somebody getting criticized as they're Best friend or somebody else, they don't accept them. They just stand right up and says, "Listen, if you got something to say, tell me about it." Amen. And they stand in the way and absorb that for them. And thank God tonight that He had some people along the way. They had made up their mind that David was not wrong and David was right, and Absalom was out of, was out of his mind for what he was doing there. And they absorbed the stone for him. So we see the re, we we see the reason, we see the reaction. But notice the recipient. David was the recipient. Let me give you a thought here tonight, because a lot of a lot of us like the term leader. A lot of us like the term of being in charge. But let me remind you tonight, being in charge and being a leader doesn't come without the risks. It doesn't come without being a moving target. It doesn't come without getting stones thrown at you. Look at the Apostle Paul, the very same people down in Lystra that, he, that, that said, hey, let's, make him, let's raise him up as a god. Those same people got energized by the critical Jews that came down to follow Paul, and they said all these vile things about Paul which were not true, and they, these people got this mob together, they dragged Paul out, and they stoned him, the Bible says, and left him for dead. And I remind you tonight, as a, the recipient was, was David here, when you lead you will be criticized. When you lead, you will be the target of hearsayers and gossipers. When you lead, you will be misunderstood. When you lead, be prepared, you will be attacked. When you lead, you will have stones and dirt thrown at you. If you're in a leadership capacity, if you haven't had it happen, it will happen. If it hasn't happened, I kind of wonder what's going on in your mind, okay? And what's going on in your leadership there. But I'm telling you tonight, as you look at leadership, you will have dirt and stones thrown at you. Stones being thrown at you hit their mark and they hurt. Dirt being thrown at you means that it will smear you one way or the other. David could have retaliated, but David didn't. David took it in the chest. In fact, David's spirit was this. As Babishai said, let's do something about it. You know what David's spirit was about that? He said, you know what? Don't don't hurt him. He said, I, I take this from the Lord. I accept this, that God knows that his bitterness will make me better. Amen? He said, I, I'm going to take it that his bitterness will make me better. He said, you know what? Maybe God knew I needed that. And let me just say tonight, I just believe this with all my heart. I've learned this over the, over the years of ministry. I, I believe that God intentionally puts, puts thorns in our side and difficulties in our lives and people that just kind of gnaw away at us and hurt us along the way. I think God does that to keep us humble. Amen? And I think God does that to remind us that we need him. And I think God reminds us that, that we need that so we don't become like that and I think God puts that in our lives to remind us every now and then that God knows that maybe somebody else's bitterness will make us a better person and David took it on the chest not just on the chin he took it literally on the chest and said okay God if that's what you want I'm going to tell all my men think about what David was sending as a leadership example as a model to all of his men around him because they wanted to take this man's head off they called him a dead dog they said let's take this, this man's head off and he set a great leadership example of meekness and a spirit of acceptance and a spirit of just saying you know what I'm going to trust God to do it this, I'm not going to do deal with it myself there. David took it in the right way. David had a good spirit. He was the recipient of this. We see this man is malicious rancor, but number two, notice in chapter 19, notice Shimei and his merciful release. And we're going somewhere with this. Now Shimei gets kind of goes, goes quiet at that point of time for a period of time because David David still is a, away from the throne, and then we get to 2 Samuel 19, which we saw a few weeks ago. In 2 Samuel 19, Absalom has been killed by Joab. David is mourning his son. David's lost his descendant. David has lost his desire. He didn't want to be king. David's lost his discernment he didn't even think about the fact if I don't do something the kingdom's going to go upside down and Joab had to kind of Joab said it in the wrong way but he had the right idea in mind but in the wrong way he said if you don't go back to the throne the thing that's going to happen to the kingdom will be worse than you could have ever imagined before and David made his way there but notice the people went to their homes and, and then David put this word out to the men of Judah he says why speak you not a word bring him to bring back the king he said if you guys want me back on the throne how come you're not doing anything about it if you want me to lead why aren't you doing something about it and the men of Judah started making the way and as they did, so along the way a bunch of other characters started to make their way towards david and they got on a ferry across the river jordan i believe it was high tide at that time and they made their way over and among those people that made their way to david was this man shimei now notice chapter 19 with me if you would and look at verse 16 and shimei the son of Girah a benjamite which was of behoram hastened and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Now the last time we saw him, he hasted too. But he hasted with stones and dust in his hands and cursing in his mouth. This time he doesn't. Notice it says there that Shimei comes down and the Bible says in verse 17, there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Zeba the servant of the house of Saul and the 15 sons, his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king and they went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household to do that which he thought was good. And Shimei, the son of Gerald, notice this verse 18, fell down before the king and as he was come over Jordan and he said to the king would you notice these words this is so precious let not my lord impute iniquity unto me neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out to Jerusalem that the king should take it to heart did you understand this man Shimei has made a 180 degree change he's realizing the king's coming back to the throne and I think some of it was motivated out of fear I believe that in fact a lot of it I think was motivated out of fear but he realized that God had God had vindicated David. He had enough sense to realize God had vindicated David and now God was validating David because David was making his way back to the throne. He had an entourage of people leading the way for that. And Shimei, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be the last one to go, go tell King David that I messed up. I don't want to wait for him to come to me. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to meet the king where he's at. I'm going to be exactly where he's at. And so he leads his delegation with all these men. Notice it tells us here in verse, 18, uh, verse 17, there are a thousand men of Benjamin with him. There are these men that had the same sentiment towards David, and Shimei goes there and he meets David and he makes these words: "Let not thy king impute his iniquity unto me." He's saying, "Don't, don't put this on my account." He said, "Listen, I, I know I've messed up, I've sinned," and he calls out his sin. He says, "Don't impute my iniquity upon me." And he says, he says here, I, "What I did was perverse, it was twisted, it was corrupt, it was wrong, it was sinful." I, 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 i He said, "I know I did wrong, I know I messed up," and he's on his face before God. Now, no, no, I want to just say this tonight, as we look at this man Shimei, you know this man, I don't know, I can't tell you what was everything in his heart, neither can you, but I know one thing, at that moment in time, I believe this man wanted mercy, amen, he wanted the mercy of the king, he wanted the king to extend mercy to him because he realized that he was a dead dog if he didn't, and he went to the king, he was the first one that made his way to the king, the first one of the offenders, and he came to him, and he falls on his face before David, and he seeks for mercy, may I say tonight, aren't you glad tonight for the mercies of God, aren't you glad tonight that we look at Jesus Christ is full of grace and full of truth. The truth represents who He is. The truth represents His holiness. The truth represents He's a God of justice. And He has to judge things righteously. And as He does so, He has to declare what we deserve. And yet there's the grace side of Him. That there's the mercy side. And we goes to David. And Abashai says, You know what, David? Don't give mercy to him. Kill that dead dog. And David says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give mercy to him. You know, I see myself in that picture. You should see yourself in that picture. I see myself in that picture. I see myself as a Shimei. I don't deserve what's going on, but I need God not to impute my iniquity upon me. I need to realize my sins in the eyes of God are perverted and twisted and wrong. You say, pastor, I'm not that great a sinner. You may not be that great a sinner, but you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, one sin will send you to hell. Just like one cancer cell could kill your body. Just like one, artery, one one piece of plaque could travel and lodge itself in your brain and give you an aneurysm and cause you to have a stroke. Or one piece of plaque can make its way through your body and kill you. I'm saying tonight, one sin will send you to hell. This man knew, man, I messed up. I need to get to the king. He said, be merciful to me. And I'm thankful tonight that we have a God of mercy. Ephesians 2:4 says, "But God, who is rich in his mercy." I'm thankful God led Brother D- Danny. I didn't even talk about the message tonight to read Lamentations 3:22 and but 3:23. Uh, but preceding that, 3:22 says, "It is of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed." Luke 18:13. The publican prayed, "Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you what we need tonight. We don't need more money. We don't more need more daylight time. We don't need more cars. We don't need more houses. We don't need more this that, we need more mercy tonight. We need the mercies of God in our life. If it wasn't for the Lord's mercies, we'd be consumed. We need to thank God every day His mercies are needed. And we need to thank God every day that His mercies are new. Listen what the songwriter said. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened self found liberty at Calvary. We look at this man who's guilty of this rancor and this man who's malicious in his behavior and yet he realizes the king comes back to the throne. He needs to come to the king. He needs to meet Him where He's at. By the way, we need to understand something tonight. We need to meet God where God is at. We need to meet God on God's terms. We need to meet God where God will meet with us and extend his mercy. And there, as he before up and on his face before King David, David poured out great mercies upon this man and extended these mercies and grace that he needed to have. By the way, notice something else in chapter 19. What you notice, verse 17. Along the way, he thought about this and he brought a thousand men with him. I just want to give you a thought as friend Day comes up. You know, when you get saved and you just rejoice in the mercies of God and his forgiveness, you want to bring other people to Jesus Christ, don't you? Amen. He brought a thousand men with him. He said, guys, if I mess up, you need messed up. I'm going to take you guys. I'm going to bring you here. You need to come over here and you need to bow your face before David as well. There too. I'm just saying tonight with friend day around the corner, what a wonderful thing. You and I were saved. We need to bring other people to the mercy seat of the Lord and find mercy there that God can extend to them. So we see this man as a recipient of great mercy. Number three, go back to chapter two with me in first Kings and it's first Kings two. Would you notice a third thing? Scene number one, we see, we're seeing four scenes tonight. Scene number one, scene number one, we see Shimei and his malicious rancor. Scene number two, we see Shimei and his merciful release. Scene number number three, we see Shimei and his mandated responsibility. Now, David is taking meticulous time as a king and as authority. He's saying, son, I want you to do this. Number one, keep the laws of God. Number two, I want you to obey the Lord. Number three, he says, he says, I want you to show yourself a man. Number four, he says, you know, I want you just to live for God. He said, I want you to do all these things right. And then he said, son, now you've got to deal. You're going to have some hard things you've got to deal with. I didn't deal with them like I should have. I think David was one of those leaders that just, you know, he knew these men and he knew probably should have dropped the hammer on them, but he just had a heart of mercy towards them. And he just felt like, you know what, I'm just going to give them some, I'm going to give them some time to get get right but he knew they weren't he knew what was in their hearts and by the way aren't tonight aren't you glad tonight god knows what's in your heart in my heart amen i mean he knew what's in their hearts he said you're gonna have to deal with joab you're gonna have to deal with Abiathar. you're gonna have to deal with adonijah and you know what as we get to chapter two we find god systematically the lord's working through solomon and by the way solomon's name means man of peace can you imagine starting off your leadership having to deal with hard problems he had to deal with Joab. He had to deal with Adonijah. He had, he had, to, he had to tell Abiathar, You're no longer a priest. You're one of the few priests in the Bible that got their office removed from them. I mean, he had to deal with these hard things. Last one left is Shimei. Notice what happens here in chapter 2, verse 36. And the king sent and called for Shimei. Now, he called for Shimei to come. Now Shimei was kind of the shadows. And Shimei was quiet. and Nothing happened with Shimei after that time he got the mercy of the Lord. But, but David told me, he said, now, I want you to understand something, son. He grievously cursed me. He grievously cursed me. You remember those words later on because we're coming back to that. He said, he grievously cursed me. He grievously cursed me. And he, and he tells his son, Solomon, you're going to have to deal with him. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and go not forth this any wither. Now I want to tell you a couple things about this. Number one, he first came to him and told him, Now I'm going to tell you what's going to help your life. He says, there's a lot of places where you can live. I want you to live here in Jerusalem. He said, I want you to build your house here and dwell there. Now, let me give you a spiritual application. That's a great, great thought for us. We need to build our lives around the church and not the church around us. I said we need to build our lives around the church and not the church around us. Amen? We need to build our lives. He said build your house in Jerusalem, the city of peace, and dwell there. Make it a point that you're going to build your life around the things of God. Hey, listen, for this church to make it past the next generation, we need a committed group of believers and members here. They're going to build their lives on Jesus Christ here. I mean, just decide tonight. You love your church and you love the Savior who gave himself for this church. Amen? And so here's this man here. He says, Look and here's what I want you to do. The king said to him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem, dwell there, and go not forth thence any weather. He says, Don't go, don't, don't go church shopping. Go looking for some other church and go find some other tabernacle and some other temple and some other city. Yeah, everything you need is right here. Everything you need is right here at Jerusalem. Can I tell you tonight where the Bible is being preached and the blessings are flowing and sinners are being saved and God's doing something? Everything you need is right here. Amen. Well, I don't know. I think there's other places. You know, we've got to get rid of the consumer mentality about church and get, if you would, a consecrated mentality about church. Amen? Build your house in Jerusalem. Now, if you're sitting on the line tonight, and I don't think you are, but if you're sitting on the line tonight, you're not convinced that you're going to be in submission to leadership, and you're you're convinced your mind you're not going to follow the church, and you're convinced your mind you're going to make your own set of rules, I think tonight the best thing you could do is follow verse 36 and say, you know what, I'm going to build my house in Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Secondly, he said in verse 36, leading to verse 37, Go not forth thence any whither. It shall be that on the day thou goest out and passes over the book Kidron. The Kidron was the marker. Kidron's very prominent in The Bible. When they, when they, when they burned up the idols and they, they, into the dust, they sprinkled it out there. Kidron was just outside the walls of Jerusalem. He said, When thou goest out there, in verse 37, On the day thou goest out and passest over the brook Kidron, thou shalt know for certain that thou shalt surely die. Now, God was doing this here. He was setting the boundary line as the, as the, as the, as the, the river Kidron. He said, Right here, the brook Kidron, he says, Outside the city walls, that's your boundary line. He said, you, you, you need to understand God is drawing a line. There's a line that is being drawn. I'm going to repeat that again. There's a line that's being drawn. It may be an invisible line, but it's a line that is drawn. He says, The moment you pass that line, You have put yourself at serious risk. There's a line that's been drawn. Now, God has drawn some lines to us. And as I say that, I want you to notice something. Shimei did not disagree with anything Solomon said. Shimei agreed with that. Look at verse 38. Shimei says, said, the saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so will thy servant do. And we read later on, they made an oath. They made a vow together. Now you know your Bible well enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us in the matter of vow, we need to take our vows very seriously. In fact, vows are on the same platform as a covenant. I was telling our the home builders class, and I'm trying to circulate around all the classes now, and uh, just encouraging them. And I was telling the home builders class about how Abraham cut the covenant Well, God cut the covenant with Abraham and God if you remember there in Genesis chapter 15 Abraham had heard for the third time he was going to be the father of many nations and he'd have this son. Now dear now, now now Abraham heard that at age seventy five, and he's eighty five years old, and he's thinking, God, it's been ten years later. I where's the son? You know, God, where's the promised son? God, Lord, it's been ten years. My wife and I have been waiting, and if we couldn't have children at seventy-five and she was sixty five, we're now I'm now eighty five and she's seventy five. If we have trouble then, we've got real serious problems right now. Where there's no way we're gonna have children? In fact, the Bible describes their bodily condition. They were good as dead. How many understand that tonight? Amen? They were good as dead. That's how Paul described in the book of Romans. And so they're thinking, that what are we going to do? And so, and so he's thinking here in his mind. And in chapter 15, it's a very monumental chapter of Genesis. Because in chapter 15, we see the humanity of Abraham. He's scared because he, with his 318 trained servants, have defeated these five kings, these pagan kings, and rescued his nephew Lot. He took all the goods back. He's a much more wealthier man because he took all the, all the substance that he acquired in war and made it his own. And he leaves that place. And he's thinking, man, they're going to come back and recover. Cover their booty and to get it from me all this, all this goods and stuff they have the gold and things like that they're going to recover it from me and he's saying, man I, I, I got to do something about this And so he's worrying about that and God comes to him in, his, in in the nighttime and he says, Abraham don't worry, he says, fear not, I'm thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He says, you don't have to worry about that. I'm going to take care of you. Hey brother Ted, that's a good verse when you go to China, God's your shield and he's your exceeding great reward. He'll shield you from all that junk that's going on there. By the way, if you're a victim of criticism tonight and a critical spirit there, God will be your shield and exceeding great reward amen And so he goes out there but he's still concerned. And we read Genesis fifteen four. The Bible says Abraham he believed the Lord and God impeded to him under righteousness. We find the conversion of Abraham in Genesis fifteen four. He believed in the Lord and God impeded to him for righteousness, and he became a believer of that but he was a shaky believer, like we are sometimes, and he was an un- he was an uncertain believer like we are sometimes. You know, we don't know if we can trust God with all our heart. And we don't know if we can we don't know if we can trust God because we have to have a plan B all the time. And sometimes even a plan C we've got to have this, we've got to have that to go along with it. So Abraham's worrying about this. And you know what God does for abraham he does him favor he puts him to sleep now thank god when god gives us sleep amen don't go to sleep right now amen this is not the time amen but god gave him sleep and he woke up And this is how the bible describes what he woke up to he saw he woke up to the horror of great darkness it's the equivalent of a bad nightmare and he saw two things he saw a burning lamp and a furnace of fire and he saw where these animals he had taken. God told him to take these animals because they were going to cut the covenant. God said, we're going to cut a covenant. I want to show you, Abraham, that I'm real and I'm true. He said, I'm going to cut this covenant with you so that you know that you can bank on this when I'm telling you it's true. And so they cut. They had these dead animals lining up along the way. and Cutting the covenant meant you put these animals on, on, on one end and the other. And then the two parties to the agreement, it would be a bilateral contract. The two parties to the agreement, one would walk through it to certify he agreed to it. And then the second one would do it to certify he agreed to it. It's like our modern day contract. You have a contract with somebody else. You sign it. They sell it. Real estate law. The seller signs it. The buyer signs it. Everybody's agreement to what we've agreed to. We've agreed to the terms. We've initiated. We've added our addendums. We agreed to it. We have all those things. We agreed to that. And so cutting the covenant was the equivalent of that. They put the animals there. And basically it was your word. And you did not break your word. Otherwise you were a terrible person. And here we find it's not Abraham doing the walking first. It's not Abraham cutting the covenant first. It's God cutting the covenant. And we find this furnace going along the way. This burning furnace. Now, everywhere you read in the Bible about a burning furnace, it reminds us of trials and afflictions we have in our life. And I'm not sure if God was just trying to give him a foreshadowing of what Israel would go through when they're in Egypt. But he was giving this foreshadowing of this burning furnace. And he would say, listen, Abraham, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to cut the covenant with you. I want to show you that I'm going to keep my word. But I want to tell you, along the way, you're going to have some trouble. And along the way, I'm going to try you. And along the way, you're going to have some affliction. By the way, tonight, just be thankful tonight. If God has given us a trial, let's just thank God he's given us a trial. Amen. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, the Bible says. And so the burning furnace came. And then the burning lamp, the burning lamp represented light along the way. It was just a reminder to him that he would need God's word. He would have to trust God's word every step of the way. He was being told what I say all the time. God only needs to give us enough light for the very next step. So the covenant was cut and was established. An oath was made. And as far as Abraham was concerned, God's word could be trusted. By the way, God's word can still be trusted tonight. Well, now we get over back here to our story here, and Shimei made an oath. Hey, Solomon, you're right. I'm going to keep my word. It's good. It's all good. I'm with it. I'm with it, man. He says, King, you're right. Look what he says here. The Bible says these were his very words. It would come back to haunt him later on. He says, the saying is good. As my Lord, the king has said, so will thy servant. He said, whatever you said, I'm going to do it. I mean, right there in public audience with everybody else. He said, I'm going to do it. Because this thing was not done in secret. This thing was done in public. The servants of Solomon could hear the thing. He says, what what thy, thy saying is good, as my lord the king has said it, so will thy servant do. So we find this man here. He says, I agree to the fact. I'm going to build my house here. I'm going to dwell here in Jerusalem. And I know what the boundaries are. He knew exactly where the boundaries are. He knew exactly where he was not supposed to be. Now listen to me tonight. God has lines. He established for your life and mine. God has lines that He's drawn. There are lines that God has drawn for life. There's a line for every relationship. There is a line between single unmarried men and women praying for God's will for your life and crossing that forbidden line to get your way. There is a line concerning the flesh and the world. There is a line between leaders and followers. There is a line between us and God. There is a line. There is a line between men and women. There is a line in marriage for husbands and wives. There is a line between parents and children. There is a line concerning the doctrine and beliefs of the Word of God and not going past those doctrine beliefs. Listen, I've been on a little bit here, but I'm very concerned about this generation that are trying to rewrite the Word of God or trying to change the rules and stretch the boundary lines a little bit further. I remind you tonight, you are not to remove the ancient landmarks which have been set. Those ancient landmarks to stay in their place, we're not to move them to any degree. You can't change the plan of salvation to fit you. You need to fit the plan of salvation. You can't change the doctrine of Jesus Christ to fit you. You need to fit the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I'm saying tonight, There are lines that are drawn. And when we go past that line, we have passed a forbidden line. And there is a serious consequence to that. There is a line. There is a line between building a church the biblical way and building it the worldly pragmatic way. There is a line between heaven and hell. There is a line between God and man. I'm saying tonight, there is a line. There is a line between accountability and action. There's a line. There's a line between honesty and dishonesty. There's a line between right and wrong. There's a line between service and softness. There's a line. There's a line between modesty and immodesty. There's a line. There's a line between encouraging words and bitter words. Look what the words are that, that Solomon told him. For it shall be, in verse 37, that on the day that thou goest out and passest over the brook Kidron. He didn't say, I'm going to think about it. He says, on the day you pass that line, thou shall know for certain that thou shalt truly die. God is establish a line for them. Hey, moms and dads, train up a child in the way in which he should go, that when he's old, he should not depart from it. It's important that we establish visible boundary lines, that they understand it. Now, they may depart from it, but at least your conscience cleared Did you told them, that you set those lines for them. They set those lines. Listen, God's Word sets a lot of boundary lines for us, not to hurt us, but to help us, not to be a burden, to be a blessing, to keep us out of trouble, to help your life and mine. God said to Solomon, Solomon told Shimei, I'm drawing a line the day you go out and cross the book, Kidron, Know for certain that thou should surely die. There's a line that you should not cross. Christian friend, I'm saying to you tonight, there's a line you should not cross. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, I don't care what what your religious persuasion is. I don't care what practices you had. I don't care how many times you climbed the stairs to Mecca. I don't care how many prayers you prayed. I don't care what actions you did. I'm saying to you tonight, there's a line that God has drawn. That line is very clear. That line is very distinct. And when you cross that line, you've passed the forbidden line and there's a consequence with that. That's what he told in verse 37. Brother and sister Christ, that's why it's important to tell people the gospel unadulteratedly. There's a line. You're not there to be their friend per se. You want to be friendly to them. But the moment you become their friend, you start acclimating to them instead of getting them to acclimate to you. Because so winning is leadership all the way. You're leading them to Jesus. Okay? Jesus does the saving, but you're leading them. Okay, and you have got to be very careful on this now because I have to be very careful on this. We got to be very careful. We want to love people, we want to help people. We're going to get people in here, but the moment you start becoming, you start letting down your your your, your standards, and you say, "Well, I just got, you know, maybe we need to be a little looser about this." That listen, you're letting them lead you instead of you leading them. There's a line that's drawn. There's a line between worldliness and unworldliness. There's a line between pleasing God and not pleasing God. There's a line between worshiping God in the spirit and worshiping God in the flesh. I mean, you, you, you draw the conclusion to yourself what is there. I'm just saying tonight, there's a line that's been drawn. Sinner, there's a line drawn for you. If you're not saved tonight, God has drawn that line. He says, listen, as a sinner, if you don't get saved, if you don't come the blood sprinkled way, if you don't come by knowing Jesus Christ your Savior, and you try to do it your own way, you have crossed a forbidden line. So then we get to our last thing tonight. Would you notice this this evening? Scene number one, we see Shimei and his malicious rancor. Scene number two, we see Shimei and his merciful release. Scene number three, we see Shimei and his mandated responsibility. Would you notice we close tonight? Notice Shimei, listen very carefully, his meditated rebellion. His meditated rebellion. Verse 39. Came to pass at the end of three years. Everything's going well for three years. He built his house in Jerusalem. He's dwelling there. He's enjoying it. He's thinking, you know what? Life in Jerusalem is better than life in Bahoram. Let me tell you what. Life with Jesus is better than life in the world. I said life with Jesus is better than life in the world. Amen? He said life in Jerusalem is better than the living in Bahoram. He got away from all those critical people. He got away from those Benjamites. He got away with those people and then their mind was made up. David was messed up. And he started to realize David's really a loving king. He ex- exercised mercy to me. Sure, I'll build my house to do Anybody extend mercy to me like that when I deserve less than mercy, man, I'll stay there. And it came to pass after the end of three years. Something happened Then the end of three Now you're going to be tested. Your, your spirit's going to be tested. Maybe it's being tested right now. At the end of these three years, two of his servants the Shimei ran away. Now servants represented money. Profits. You lost your servants. That was embarrassment as a business owner. You're not supposed to lose your servants. You're supposed to let them run away. And to make things worse, notice where they ran away to. The Bible says they ran away to Achish the son of Maka, the king of Gath. You know where they went to? They went down. To the, they went to the Philistine territory. Now, as I read that and I read about how how, nonch- how just nonchalant Shimei was about going down there, that tells me that Shimei probably had dealings and the servants probably had dealings and, and people they knew down in Gath and they just were right at ease with it. They had no problem with it. And you've got to remember, this man made an oath three years before with, the, with King Solomon. He said, no problem, King. I'm going to keep my oath. I'm going to keep my word. And now we get over here to verse 39 and it says here that the servants ran away. And notice what happens here. They told Shimei saying, behold, thy servants be in Gath. Now somebody knew where they ran to. And I have this sense that, Lord, as they gave those words to him, they were actually challenging Shimei to see if he'd keep his oath. They were trying to be the... Because we're not told who those people are. But that's like the devil. The devil doesn't have to announce his identity. He just comes alongside of us invisibly and he starts whispering in our ears and he interjects these thoughts in our mind. And listen, as we start entertaining that and we don't get it out of our minds, it becomes a stronghold. And as a stronghold, notice what happens, they told him that, and Shimei said, well, I'm not going to embarrass myself, and I'm not going to let prophets go down the drain, and I'm not going to let this get away. And so what happens, the Bible says in verse 40, Shimei arose and saddled his ass and went to Gath, to Achish, to seek his servant. Now notice, Shimei was concerned. Shimeon was concerned. He was concerned about the loss of prophets. He was concerned about the loss of reputation. He was concerned that he would lose his servants. Listen to me say some things tonight. He knew what his oath was. But he placed a higher premium on getting these servants back than he did on his oath and his life. He was more concerned what this would cost him in money than it would cost him with the king. He was more concerned about the cost of losing business than it was, than he was in the disobedience to the command. He was more concerned about his loss than he was about the Lord. He was more concerned about his fame than he was about his faith. He was more concerned about recovery than he was about righteousness. He put all the right things that were in his mind out of his mind. He said, I'm just gonna get up and I'm gonna go after it. He meditated and said, I'm going to get them. He just broke his oath. He just broke his word. But he thought he could get away with it. Notice we see his concern. Notice in verse 40, we see his calculation. He rose. He saddled his ass. Got his GPS out, went to Gath. Went to the palace of King Akish. He'd done some business there before. Just the fact that he could approach this king for his servants that tells me they had some business dealings before. He went, brought his servants together. He says, "You know what? I'm just going to quietly do this. No one's going to see what I'm doing. I don't have to announce to Solomon what's going on. Solomon doesn't know. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to do it surreptitiously. I'm going to go out there. He brought his servants back. Was meditated." Meditated rebellion. It wasn't rebellion by accident. All rebellions meditated. All, medita- all rebellions meditated. It is not by accident. He knew what he was doing. He thought momentarily about his oath, but he went anyway. He thought he could go there without anybody knowing about it. He thought, you know what? And as he saddled that ass, he crossed, he crossed the Brook Kidron. He passed that line. He crossed the line. He crossed back over thinking nobody would know. Listen, there was this concern. There was this calculation. Notice the Confrontation. Did you notice verse 41? It was told Solomon. He thought he could get away with it. Solomon found out. It was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come again. Put yourself in Solomon's shoes for just a minute. Shimei, I did what? Didn't I tell him the day he crossed over Kidron, he's going to die? You've got to be kidding me. He valued two servants that were worth 30 pieces of silver each, which this guy's loaded with money because he built his house in Jerusalem, high expensive real estate inside the city, amen? You're telling me he risked his life to save those two servants when he could have gone to the open market and bought two more servants? You're telling me that he went down and made an alliance with the king of Gath down there in Philistine? Philistine country. He went down to the world to get back his servants. And he came back with a smirk on his face. And he thought he could get away with it. He thought it wouldn't find out. He thought it wouldn't know. He thought he could get away with what he said. And listen, the Bible says Solomon came and Solomon found out. He went there. Notice verse 42. and verse 40. It says, And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make thee to swear by the Lord and protest unto thee, saying, No for certain on the day thou goest out and walkest abroad any thither that thou shalt surely die and thou saidest to me the word that I've heard is good he said didn't you hear what I said didn't you make an oath on this didn't I give you commandment didn't you promise you wouldn't cross a forbidden line didn't you grieve me there was a line hey that's how we are we hear God's Word. And we read God's Word. And when things are going good and there's no pressures and there's no needs pulling us, we agree with it. And we know where the lines are drawn. But watch. When the temptation comes and the pressures come and the need arises and the loneliness happens, we get this place. We start justifying in our mind everything we're going to do that's against what God says we shouldn't do. And we cross that forbidden line. We compromise with what we used to believe. And we cross the forbidden line. And we go there. And He did that. And that's what He did. He had this confrontation. He went ahead and did it. And Solomon called him out and said, do you know what you did? Now let me give you some thoughts here tonight. Here's a man who received mercy at the hands of David and Solomon, but deep down inside of his heart he had the same prevailing problem. Notice how Solomon put his finger on the problem of this man by the name of Shimei. Listen very carefully, we're almost done. He said, asked him in verse 43, why then hast thou not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with? Now he's going to cut through the chase. Would you notice verse 44 because he's going to sting him. And in verse 44, the king said, moreover, he says, listen, I didn't want to tell you this, but because you crossed the line, I've got to tell you right now. Now, That's serious business right there. Thou knowest all the wickedness which thy heart is privy to that thou didst to David, my father, therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon the Lord. You know what he's telling him? The challenge with you, Shimei, is that the same prevailing issues going on in your heart several years ago are still there. You never got over it. You never got over it. It's still there. And God called him out in verse 44. He says, thou knowest all the wickedness which thy heart is proved." Do you understand When, when he used the word wickedness, that's a very strong term to describe how sinful he was. He said, you're like a criminal. He said, thou knowest all the wickedness that thou art privy to. And he's saying to him, he, you cross that line. And let me, let me give you some thoughts. I want you, want you to listen very carefully. Shimei tried to change the rules to fit what he wanted to do. And he found it it doesn't work. He tried to change the rules. He said, well, the king won't know. And the king won't matter. But the truth of the matter is, he was at this place in his life. He tried to get the rules to fit him, but the same wickedness was there. You know the problem with the critical spirit? The moment a critical spirit in? I believe this. It is one of the most spiritual sins and, fail, and, and ills that we have in our lives. I mean, all of us can have in our life that just doesn't go away. It just stays there. It's one of those things that least confess sin. It's the least sin we deal with. It's the one we don't want to confront. And you know, it's just the thing, the dealing with people. We see people and we see something happen again and it triggers that emotion. It triggers that reaction that like we saw with Shimei. And under our breath, we're cursing and we want to throw stones or maybe we are throwing stones through our words and we get to that place where we can't get over it. And he was at a place where Solomon confronted him and says, you know what? You built your house here and you were doing good for three years but then you got challenged. God allowed this situation coming in your life that the servants ran away and you went out and you went after those servants and you showed what was really in your heart can i tell you something tonight? god shows what's really in our heart because he allows those problems to prevail in our hearts to see whether or not we can overcome that critical spirit and the truth of the matter is i think believe the majority of us are like a shimei we have a very difficult time to overcome that critical spirit it happens at work it happens in church it happens working with other christians It happens, whatever we do, it happens that way. People disappoint us and people disillusion us and things don't happen along the way. And after a period of time, we kind of mull on it and we dwell on it. And you could be shaking hands and somebody comes up to you and makes a smart remark to you. Or somebody comes up to you and wants to challenge you about doctrine. Or somebody wants to come up to you and challenge you about church policy. And somebody wants to change the rules. Why can't we do it this way? And why can't we do it that way? And why can't we do this Well, listen, I try the best I can, but everything we try to do, I try to have a biblical foundation for what we do. Because when I'm long gone, you need to have a biblical foundation, not what Alan Fong says, Is what does the Word of God say? That's our authority. And listen, we get a place where our constitutions and our laws and all these other things, they have a precedent over the Word of God. What happened to the Word of God? You agreed to the Word. You told the king that you're okay with it, but now you went ahead and did it. Notice again verse 44. He said, the king said, moreover... Thou knowest all the wickedness which thy heart is privy to that thou didst to David my father. Now David described it this way which God which God Solomon stirred. He said he has grievously cursed me. Now keep your finger there and go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Hurry if you want to go home. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4 helps someone that doesn't know their Bible help them find their place real quickly there. Could you do that? Ephesians chapter 4, notice something that goes along with this grievously cursing and this grievousness. He says in verse 26, Be ye angry, and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Notice verse 27, Neither give place to the devil. He says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's grievously cursing but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed in the day of redemption. Listen, you can talk you can talk in, in cryptic terms, and you can kind of hide your word, and think that nobody knows what's going on. Hey, God knows what's going on. And if David was grieved in his spirit, don't we think that the Holy Spirit is grieved with our words? With our spirit? And our attitude? I have to always caution myself. Man, I, I come to church, I'm all, I'm, I'm just, I've got myself all worked up and prayed up for church. And the moment I come in, something goes on. Or somebody says something, and I'm all worked up after well, after finish preaching, just rejoicing what God's doing. I'm trying to shake hands, be a blessing, trying to pastor people through the church and their situation, people got burned. And somebody comes up, to have to make a smart remark. Try to discourage my spirit. Like the little girl that went to the fair with her daddy. Her dad. She saw this big cotton candy about this big, and she was only about this small. It's coming out like my little granddaughter, little Evie. Evie's about that small. Amen. You know. A little girl looked at it, and she said, "Daddy, Daddy, buy me that, buy me that, that, that candy cotton, that cotton candy, buy me that candy." And she, he looked at her, he said, "Honey," he said, "You can't eat that cotton candy. That cotton candy's bigger than you." She said, "Oh, Daddy, you understand? I'm bigger on the inside than I am on the outside." And you know what? As a Christian, that's the kind of spirit God wants us to have—that we're bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. Amen. And so, he says in verse. Twenty thirty one here, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. He that also with the critical spirit put away from you with all malice. Simeon had that, but he didn't follow it. He gave place to the devil. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ said gave you. You know what? He valued those servants more than he did the Savior. He valued his fame over his accountability to God. The notice of verse 45-46 is condemnation. Go back to chapter 2 of 1 Kings. And King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. You know what he's saying? You know what? You thought you can get away with it. You're not going to happen. You're not going to happen. God's in this thing. The king commanded Beniah the son of Jehoiada which went out and fell upon him that he died. There were consequences to it. I'll tell you a story about a city by the name of Messina, Sicily. It's a true story. December 25th, 1908, the city of these people, the Sicilians, filled with wicked people. They published a newspaper on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1908. They challenged God in bold print. They said, God, if you're really real, why don't you send an earthquake and destroy our town? Bold print in the newspaper. Look it up. December 28th, God sent an earthquake, a great magnitude, 84,000 people died. They had a bitter spirit towards God. They thought they could challenge God. They crossed a forbidden line. I want you to see a song tonight. Do we have that song, Brother Kwong? I don't have it here, but I want you to see a song tonight. I grew up singing this song, our invitation times. And I want you to think about it as we close tonight. It says, there's a line that is drawn by rejecting our Lord. Where the call of his spirit is lost. And you hurry along. With a pleasure mad throng. Have you counted. Have you counted. The cost. Have you counted the cost. If your soul should be lost. Though you gain the whole world for your own. Even now it may be. That the line you have crossed. Have you counted. Have you counted the cost? Show the second stanza. You may barter your home et- of eternity's morn for a moment of joy at the most for the glitter of sin and the things it will win. Have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? Though your soul should be lost, Though you gain the whole world for your own, even now it may be that the line you have crossed have you counted? Have you counted the cause? Don't cross that line. God has His boundaries. Don't cross that line. Don't cross that line. It's a line that God's drawn invitation tonight if you're not saved come to Jesus tonight you cross that line thinking you can save yourself you won't get saved you need to get saved tonight The night, Christian I'm praying this evening is more preventative medicine than anything else I've prayed all the last 40 72 hours God please meet with us as Jehovah Rapha the Lord who heals and the bomb of Gilead Gilead would touch our soul be medicine to our heart that the sweetness of Jesus Christ would prevail in our hearts. However God spoke spoken to your heart tonight, all I have to say to you tonight, don't cross that line. Don't cross that line. Realize where Shimea was at with his malicious rancor. Realize where Shimea was at with that merciful release. Realize where Shimea was at with that mandated responsibility. Notice where Shimea was at with his meditated rebellion and what happened with him. Tonight, have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Father, tonight I... Ask this evening that you just do medicine to our soul and encouraging us in the Word of God. And I pray this evening that as we consider the study on the man by the name of Shimei, we realize there's much we have to learn from this. And I plead with you tonight, first for someone who perhaps is thinking they can save themselves, they'd realize that Lord, you're merciful, and they would just call on you like Shimei did. He called to Solomon, to David. He says, he said, please, don't impute my iniquity. Don't don't put it on my account. Forgive me for my perverseness, but help me tonight, he said to me, that I get right with you. No wonder tonight, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, are you saved? Don't you realize tonight, the church isn't the way to be saved? Following good works is not the way to be saved. The way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Who would say tonight, by the raising of the right hand, Pastor, I'm not saved. I've tried, I'm, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved, but I want to get saved tonight. Would you pray for me? Is there someone like that tonight? I'm not saved tonight, but I know I need to get saved. Jimmy, I had one chance. He need to get saved. How about you tonight? How about you tonight? Wait just a minute. There's a line that's drawn by rejecting our Lord. Don't, don't cross that line. Get saved tonight. Would you get saved this evening? Get saved. Christian friend, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You know what God wants you to do tonight. I think we need to come to Calvary's fountain tonight and bathe our soul and the blood that washes away all those sins. We need to bathe our soul there. That God delivers us from a critical spirit. And God delivers from rancor. God delivers from things that are just hard for us to get away with and changing the rules to fit what we want to do. And you get, get the Lord to His mercies working in our life. Let's do that tonight. And maybe if you've crossed the line, let me encourage you, pull back. Don't cross that line. Don't cross that. kid drawn. get it right with the Lord tonight. Father, have your way in the invitation, we pray. May the mercies of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit be ever present, working in our midst for your glory. We pray for this in Jesus' name. As you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite you to come tonight. Let's meet the Lord. He's ever merciful. Aren't you glad about that tonight? He's ever merciful for us tonight. Somebody hurt you. Something wrong happened. You got hurt. He created a critical spirit. There's unforgiveness and bitterness. Let's, let's seek the Lord tonight. It happens all the time. There are thorns that happen in our sides that come to us all the time. We need to come to the Lord tonight. Would you come this evening? Would you just ask God to deal with that? Let's surrender that spirit. Let's have that spirit. The shimmy I had when he had the merciful release, he came and humbled himself before God. There's only one way, through humility. And then tonight, if you're not saved, Please don't go another night. Don't leave church without getting saved tonight. Call on Jesus to save you this evening. Realize that He loves you. Realize that He'll never forsake you. Realize tonight He wants to save you. There's a line that's drawn by rejecting our Lord. You come tonight. Would you do that? Father's prayer is being lifted around the room. And we're dealing with issues this evening. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be pleased. That He's not grieved, but He's rejoicing in us. And, Lord, where we're we're, place has been given to the devil, help us take back that territory that he's taken, that trespassing he did. And, Father, help us take back that territory tonight in our lives and evaluate this evening the importance of not crossing those forbidden lines. What a, what a devotion tonight for fam, families to succeeding, for parents and children. And at least as a mom and dad, we can lay down the law and say, hey, there, here's the line. Don't pass that line tonight. Father, have your way this evening. Thank you for your word which changes lives. We're just praying this evening that your word would just work in our soul, doing that which is pleasing your sight. Help those without Christ to get saved tonight. Help us this evening to meditate upon the word and realize that, Lord, there's medicine here for our soul, that God is to be done for your glory. Please be glorified and pleased to this. We pray for these things now. In Jesus' name, amen.